Welcome, Mission Vineyard family. Hello. <laughs> well, welcome to church this morning in Mission Vineyard, where we like to say that our motto is we welcome Jesus into every part of life. Nice. Okay. Uh, so we're about to get into our worship set, but if you would stand with me and we can pray and our um, tradition, whatever you want to call it, we like to invite the Holy Spirit in. So if you would just join me and invite Holy Spirit, come. Noise is vain if you're not in it. So, Father, we want to be able to glorify you the way you want to be glorified. This is all for you. I pray that you would meet us here. We want to seek you, see your face, feel you close. We want to have a, a relationship with you. We don't want this to be another box to check. Pray that you would just come in and surround us and feed us as we hear your word, as we fellowship with one another, and as we give praises to you. In your name, amen. amen. Okay. Well, the first song that we're going to sing, we actually sang way back in January, so we're going to treat it somewhat like a new song. But it is just declaring that he is good and that we're excited about it. In the bridge, it mentions that in the sun or rain, my life celebrates you are good. So there's so many times where we're happy and joyful when we're on top of the mountain, but let's just remember that we can celebrate that he is good no matter what we're feeling and no matter what circumstances we're going through. Whether we're wandering in the desert for 40 years or on the edge of Canaan, let's just sing that you are good. And I'll sing because you are good and I'll dance because you are good and I'll shout because you are good. You are good to me. Let's sing it again. And I'll sing because you are good. And I'll dance because you are good. And I'll shout because you are good. You are good to me.
You are great and wonderful. You are 
feel like we should be staying in this atmosphere for just a minute. Whether that means having a good one-on-one with the Lord Almighty or just resting in His presence. Let this be a time of prayer and relationship with the one we come to. Sing and serve. continue this worship This, this morning from the Gospel of John. John doesn't really have the same kind of view or presentation of the Last Supper as being the Passover meal. But he does have in his Gospel, uh, in chapter 6, uh, Jesus' own words. 
about himself. That's very important. I think we'd like to uh, talk about this morning or focus on this morning, not just being the Lord's Supper, but to be communion with him. We've sung of that. We've begun to worship him in uh, spirit and truth and recognize his presence among us. Let me read a few verses, if you would, just just a little bit. But this is Jesus's, uh, if you will, the way he is presenting himself to his disciples and to us. Uh, there's certainly a symbolism in there, but let me just read those to you uh, from really beginning in chapter 6, verse 32. And I'm going to skip a lot and, and finish in verse 58. So I'm not going to read all those. You can relax a little bit. Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they, his disciples, said, Give us this bread always. Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they all died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, and so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give will give for the life of the world is my own flesh. Then in verse 53, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate they died. The one who eats this bread and drinks this cup will live forever. His language may be somewhat symbolic, but his presence is very, very real. So this morning as we take this bread, styrofoam, yes, let's think of the body that he has offered to us, not just for our sins, Yes, that, but his, that we would not hunger ever again. Thank you. And then this wine that symbolizes his blood that he's given for the very life of the world, your life. Take this as his own very presence with us this morning. Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's be together. Um, okay, uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, hey. Yeah, so um, really, I just feel like, yeah, really thanks for um, Destiny and uh, Alberto. I think I feel like, yeah, it's just really good worship this morning. I feel just God's presence. Um, so just thankful for that. Um, and just thank Jesus for everything. Um, so welcome, everybody. And if you are the first time come to um, our church, we're really honored to is that you are being with us and worship with us and, and just be part of us. So um, we have this, um, uh, like the sheet that you can fill up and some information. Fill up as much as you feel comfortable. Sorry. Fill up as much information as you feel comfortable. And uh, if you give us the email address, uh, we can uh, give the um, newsletter so you can catch up with like our church events on every, um, every week. And then also we have a mana bag, which is like a bag that we put some essentials to people. So if you can put in your car and if you're driving and then on the side of the street you saw someone, you can give them to them as, as a way of like preserving the community. And uh, it also has some church information so for them, if they want to find a, a church home, we could be, uh, we could provide that as well. Um, small group, so church is uh, like, um, there are all kinds of small groups in the church. Uh, we have like a men's group, women's group, we have young adult, we have youth, we have a uh, prayer group. So there's all kinds of information. You can go to smallgroupsmissionmaria.org and uh, there's all kinds of information there. We believe that, yeah, it's a small group, it's a big part of it. And then that, check out that, that information, it's, it's really cool to see. And oh, there's like other updates there too, so you can see all of that. Um, next announcement. Uh, we have a uh, men's groups meeting. So men's group meeting, hey, it's on, yeah, August 21st. Uh, so uh, we have um, 5 o'clock, and it's in uh, Jim's house. Uh, so Jim is uh, the, the hot, handsome guy <laughs> back there. <laughs> yeah, and um, so you can ask more information for James or Randall or Herschel. So you, uh, you can uh, find more information there. Um, next one is giving. So um I think, you know, giving is like a part of our worship. And then if you feel like being uh, to God's help, just asking you to give or you feel like want to be part of us, what we're doing here. And we just really appreciate that all the resource and to be part of it, just be in the community. Then you can give. There's information. You can go to the give.missionmeer.org and you can give it online or there's like a box, I believe, in the back of the um, table that you can give to. Um, but, yeah, we'll just... Uh, God, just pray that um, all the resources that we have, Lord, just give us a wisdom and to be better at serving the community around us. And God, I pray just thanks for everybody to be in here and worship and just uh, pray that you open our hearts and to receive what you uh, prepare for us today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bruce. I don't think anybody's ever got a clap for announcements before. I think... I think you just owned your space. Forget it. Bruce's new announcement's king. 
I love it. I love it. Good morning. My name is John Relly. I'm the senior pastor here. It's an honor to be before you on this, what seems to be a continuation of a crazy day in a crazy world, doesn't it? All new adventures. Every day we get to wake up to the news and something new has exploded or a new crisis has loomed or crises have come back. Here we are. And so you decided to spend an hour of your week to be here in this space that we call church. We're in a children's museum. That's Churches meet all over the place, all over the world in different ways, in caves. Uh, I'm... I'm um, Specifically thinking about the Afghan church this morning, as uh, the Taliban has completely taken over now. They are the new rulers of Afghanistan this morning. And so I want to wait for just a moment, and I want to pray. Uh, it's often that in these conflicts, uh, the church is on the rise. The church is in the midst of revival, and then conflict looms in the country. It's happened over and over and over again. And so this morning, can we pray together for the church in Afghanistan and for Afghanistan as a whole? Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning burdened. Uh, we're your children, and so we're filled with your compassion. Uh, God, our compassion for the world right now as COVID continues in a new way. Uh, God, our compassion for uh, teachers and nurses and hospitals as they're uh, going through their own tensions of what to do next. And then specifically, Lord, for Afghanistan this morning. As uh, they have a new rulership that has been historically just horrible to their citizens, especially the church. Lord Jesus, that you would be with the church this morning. God, that you would put a fire in them like they haven't had before. God, that you would raise them up in the midst of a looming tyranny to be bright and shining stars of your good news against whatever may come upon them. Make them bold with your good news, Lord Jesus. Sly as foxes. God, make them encouraged and excited. Just like, uh, Lord, we know that when we see scarecrows, we know that the harvest is there. The crows are afraid, but your people know that there's a harvest there. Lord, would you encourage the church in Afghanistan and all over the world where there's tyranny, especially against the faithful. God, would you encourage them that where the scarecrows are, where the tyranny is, there the greatest harvest could be. God, we see it in China today. And Lord, let it be in Afghanistan today. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in Afghanistan as it is in heaven. And God, through their behavior and their actions in their country, would you give us boldness here in this country for your gospel, for your good news, for your love with our neighbors. We ask, God, in full humility, knowing that you are king and Lord of all. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I have never been and I am never more excited for the gospel, for Jesus to be known to the world than when there's oppression against the gospel. Americans have it so easy. We don't even know what it means to follow Jesus except, oh, I forgot to do my quiet times. Oh, I forgot to wake up at 7 o'clock and, and have a little extra time in the Bible. I forgot to 
say my prayers before a meal and ask, thank God for all that he's done. Most of the work of followers of Jesus in this country is all about thanking God for all the goodness that he's done. And he has done so much. And he's worthy of praise. And he's worthy of thanks. But there are those even in this room that have been close to arrest because they've shared the gospel of Jesus. There are those in this room that are followers of Jesus, even though that it was against the law in their country. So what does it mean for us then to be the church? We're going to continue and we're going to go back to one of the most key verses of discipleship, the, of what, the greatest commandment Jesus said that there is. And my hope is that it guides us today a little bit in what it means to be the church, to be part of God's kingdom here in this country, because that's where we live. I don't know if you know it, but you have been called to where you are. If you're in this room right now, you have a calling on your life, first to where you live. You may have hungers. I have a friend of mine that told me he was moving to Brazil to help some church branches in Brazil. God bless you. For the rest of us, God has called us right here to this time, to this country. Because there's something that's completely life-changing about the love of Jesus. When Jesus comes, life actually changes. But God, I, he woke me up so early this morning. I said, Lord Jesus, why did you wake me up at 5 a.m.? I could have slept for a couple more hours. He says, John, we need to talk. And after getting through some of my morning fuzz, he said, John, why do you love me? Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you so much because you died for me. Because you love those who so are so far off from you, just like me. And because you, you're willing to, to change my life and die for me, even though I'm not willing. You died for me before I was ready. You waited for me to be ready, and so here I am. I love you so much, Jesus. A Pharisee, a religious leader, a religious legal scholar, a lawyer at the time that could have gotten Jesus arrested in the religious courts goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest discipline that we should be following? What is the greatest thing the focus of our lives should be? Because this is the thing that should make the best life, right? God asks us to follow his commandments not because he's a legal jerk, He's given us commandments like spiritual disciplines in order to draw us close and say, this is where the best life is. If you do this, you'll become more into who I've created you to be. In fact, uh, the word holy is used in this context. So this religious scholar says to Jesus, what is the greatest one? If you're going to have the best life, what should you do? And Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, you must love the Lord. Love him. Love him. You must love him. Not follow him kind of passively. Not disengage with him. Love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All of it. Some of you aren't romantics in the room, but some of you have seen romantic movies, so you know what romance is. I'm a Roman by heart, and so by DNA, I am romantic. You know that's where the word comes from, right? From the Romans. They're all dramatic, wonderful, 
Love the Lord with all of your heart. I get that so much. Love him with all of your, oh, your passion, like you're going to jump off a cliff for the one you love. Yeah! It doesn't do anything for the relationship, but it proves your love. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Think about the soul, what that means to you. With all of who you identify to be, the thing that AI doesn't have yet. Love the Lord with all of your soul. Yet, I said, who knows in the future? And all of your mind, that thing that goes off when the alarm goes off and thinks about all the 15 million things that you forgot to write down last night, the thing that keeps you up, the thing that just shocks you in the shower when you're just trying to bathe and all the ideas come to mind and then you forget them and you feel bad about it. Love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. This is it. This is what makes life amazing. Do this. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. See, the religious leader, he knew this verse. Everybody knows this verse if you're a Jew. This is the Shema. This is, this is what, what Judaism is. This We pray this all the time. This is the root of who we are, this prayer. So Jesus says it back to, backs to him. He says it back to him, and, and everything's good. And then Jesus pulls this other commandment, this kind of loosely said commandment out of the 613 of them he pulls it out and he says oh but there's one more just as important and the religious leader is probably paused and looking at him you can imagine this moment like no you already said the shema jesus you already said the most important one you can be done we're good and he says no there's another one just as great a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself this is simple stuff, right? Jesus isn't being complicated. Hey, love God. Simple. Love your neighbor. Great. And if you, oh, if you read Jesus, I love Jesus. He's so good. He talks about what a neighbor is in so many different ways in the gospel. But here, he's quoting Leviticus. This is chapter 19, verse 17 of Leviticus. He's quoting a commandment. And this is where it comes from. Get this context for just a moment. Don't nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. What? Confront people directly so you'll not be held guilty for their sin. What? Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. The whole chapter, if you read Leviticus 19, and I encourage you to do so, is full of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the way the language, there's a scholar, this guy named John Goldengate, and he, he looks at the language and he said, this is like a mom yelling at their children. Don't do that! I can't do it with a mom voice. I've got dad voice. It's much scarier. But when mom does it, it's, it's got its own fear factor, right? This is what happens. God's saying, don't do that! Don't nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Stop it. Confront people directly so you won't be held guilty for their sin. Come on. Don't seek revenge or, or, revenge or, uh, or, or grudge against a fellow Israelite. So there's this all this language in these commandments is, how do you guys get along in your faithful community? 
It's less about the outsiders. It's more about the hundred that are living in that neighborhood, in that family, in that religious household. It's how do you get along when you're trying to follow God together? Now, Jesus talks about loving your neighbor in other contexts, in other verses, but here it's don't bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he finishes it off like a good parent would, because I said so. I am the Lord. You see, this whole chapter, God is saying, because I'm holy, you be holy. Because I am who I am, you be like who I am. Because I am God, I want you to act like you follow me. This is how you do it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, we're in Leviticus, we're in Matthew, uh, and we're talking about the church. Would you actually do something in our church today? That my words wouldn't just be words, but they would be filled with your Holy Spirit to do what you want in your kingdom in this church. God, let your church be who you want it to be for the world. There's so much going on, God. Let your church be like you. Would you set it apart? Would you make it holy? Would you allow us and make us to love one another as ourselves? In the church, we are dependent on one another's generosity. You know why? Sometimes I can be a jerk. I'm dependent on you forgiving me because I'm not like you. You see, the rest of the communities that we're involved in, they're all, I mean, even uh, 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 the blogs you read, the different news you might follow, it's all about whatever you like. Why would you hang out with people that you don't like? Why would you hang out with people who you disagree with intentionally? I was talking with a neighbor, he drove by, and we were talking about the school in town that all of a sudden, because it's a public school, there are these opposites that are now going to school together. And this tension's now arising. One thought that they would be like-minded, the other thought that might be like-minded, didn't really care, and now they're in the school together, this elementary school, and the parents are fighting all the time on Facebook, bringing up issues that you would have never thought. We don't go to places, hang out with people because we think we'll disagree with them. We do it because we think that they think like us. You don't start dating someone and think, I'm going to marry this person. We disagree about everything. It's fantastic. My best friend and I, we can't decide on a restaurant. Never mind what to do and we hang out. No. The world doesn't work like that. It's too difficult. In the church, we do that. Isn't that weird? We all come together all with differences of opinions. Some of you are vegetarian. Some of you like to grill barbecue every day. And yet, still, you decide to hang out together. We depend on one another's generosity for one another. We depend on grace. We depend on one another coming together and saying, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. I'm going to sacrifice my desires. I'm going to sacrifice my comfort. I'm going to sacrifice how strong my opinion's going to be in this conversation. 
for the sake of us coming together the way that God's called us to. Why? Because God said so. He said, be holy like I am holy. Be direct when you have disagreements, the scripture says. Love confronts. Love digs into relationships that are broken to reconcile them. Sin, annoyance, frustration is not an excuse to be quiet. Love doesn't push away those issues. Love sees them the most clearly that anybody can see them. So when God is saying, love your neighbor as yourself, he's not saying, brush your differences under the carpet. He's saying, now give everyone a big hug. Do you remember when your parents did that? I don't know if yours did. My mother-in-law, I heard this story about my mother-in-law. When my, my wife and her sisters got into trouble with one another, she used to sit them facing one another, knees interlocked for a long period of time, until they said, I'm sorry. I've never done that as a pastor with anybody in my church. I've gotten close. Love your neighbor as yourself is this commandment that is specifically for the church in this instance saying, hey, this community is going to be different than anything else that you've ever experienced in the world. You're not coming together on your likes and dislikes. You're coming together because of me. When you come together because of me, it's going to be really messy. Really messy. And so you need my love in order to continue on. My grace because you're going to need the strength to be direct. You're going to need the strength to self-sacrifice, to make a commitment to self-sacrifice for the sake of the community and for the sake of love. It's so different than the rest of the world, isn't it? I mean, normally we prioritize what? Our independence. Who likes independence? I love independence. I hate relying on anybody else. I just don't like it at all. I don't like when people... Do anything. Give me a ride. Oh, my gosh. Don't give me a ride. I want my own car. Right? We prioritize our freedom to be ourselves, to be creative. We prioritize relationships based on our priorities. We prioritize our own accomplishments and goals. We prioritize easy. Remember the easy button from Staples when it still existed? That was easy. We prioritize easy. We prioritize fast. We prioritize us. This is the human dynamic, isn't it? So what on earth was God thinking in making a community filled with people with all kinds of differences? We live in a world focused on looking good on Instagram and celebrating our personal successes and photos that we share with millions Everybody's so good at prioritizing themselves. We see it in photos. Certainly will do well to do the same. It takes a decision to be a part of a community that's different. A decision to live self-sacrificially. I will make a self-sacrificial commitment to community for the sake of God making my life better. He gave this commandment. He gave this spiritual discipline. He gave this way of following him that said, if you do this, I promise your life will be better. You know how I know? Because no matter how many posts you put up on Instagram, you are still insecure, aren't you? 
No matter how many accomplishments you've made, it's still not enough, isn't it? You're still looking for one more win. Or you're wondering what to do now that you've made it. Well, what do I do now? I've made it. Most of us feel that something's wrong, but we have a hard time facing that it's our selfishness that's causing the pain we're feeling. We refuse to let go of the normal day-to-day moments of looking good on Instagram or faking it until we make it. All those moments that leave us dissatisfied and wanting more. We want more. Our society is more lonely than ever. We're more distrusting than ever. Most of us, uh, uh, we're doing things that lack any meaning at all. We're trapped in our tribes. We're suffering. All thinking that what we're doing was just making us happy, right? The other part of the story we tell ourselves, we refuse to get into relationships because we're afraid to be vulnerable. Gosh, if the dirt that's being thrown uh, around online is like it is, I'm definitely not going to step foot into a church. Who knows who I might find there that might really wreck me in person. I don't want to get into a relationship like that at all. I don't want to get into a vulnerable place again where my feelings would get hurt. I don't want to be in that unsafe place. If we take a moment to listen to our own lives, we realize we've been practicing some spiritual disciplines that don't come from God. They come from a really ugly place, and they end in just a lot of hurt. The world says you have to love yourself first in order to be happy. Jesus says you must love others to understand love and to see yourself loving others in order to understand how God loves people. I'll say that again. Jesus says, in order to understand love, you have to see yourself doing it to somebody else. In order to understand love, you must love somebody else. And Jesus knew this because he did it. He was the premier person of self-sacrificial love. He was the one who did self-sacrificial love for us. It's the identity of our community. That's what makes us able to come together with our differences because Jesus did it first for us. Jesus was awesome, wasn't he? I mean, he could work with wood, make all kinds of stuff. He liked fish. Hung out with, like, criminals. All kinds of different people all at the same time. If you read about Jesus... Tax collectors and zealots, ex-prostitutes, current prostitutes. Don't you want to be like Jesus, who's like loved by everyone? His Instagram account was probably like this, zero. But something in him, this commitment to self-sacrificial love, gave him a place to be loved by and love so many different people. And he made a community out of them. That's what the church is. A gathering of those people that are going to follow Jesus and make this community of all kinds of messy people, all disagreeing about everything, but all committing to self-sacrificial love for the sake of God giving us the best life we could ever have. For the sake of being obedient because he said so. Because he's right He's right. 
We always want more going our own way, but there really is an offering of joy here that God has for us. I love the idea of joy. Joy, that sense of like deep fulfillment of, uh, of a sense like uh, of identity and like just fullness, a sense of like the world is right. I've been reading a book by David Brooks called The Second Mountain, and he's got this quote about people who radiate joy. I don't know if you can read it on the screen. It's, there's a lot of text, but he says, the people who radiate a permanent joy have given themselves over to lives of deep and loving commitment. Giving has become their nature, and little by little they've made their souls incandescent. There's always something flowing out of the interiority of our spirit. For some people, it's mostly fear or insecurity. For the people we call joyful, it's mostly gratitude, delight, and kindness. How do you build your personality to glow in this way? You might think a bright person uh, 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 would come from an unburdened life, a life of pleasures and constant delights. But if you look closely at joyful people, you notice that very often, the people who have the most incandescent souls have taken on the heaviest burdens. The easy button might get us happiness for a moment. We might choose, I'm only going to hang out with my tribe, those people who only like sourdough bread. I'm sticking with them. If COVID's proved anything, they're the smart ones. And Jesus says, no. I've got something more. That commitment to self-sacrificial love actually gives you deep joy. That same joy that your parent had for you when you were born, and you couldn't do anything for them. You were such a mess, and they looked at your face all smushy and ugly, and they said, I love you. All of a sudden, you got the first imprint of joy. This is the real stuff that Jesus wants to have. It can continue. It's not just from that parental moment of Oh, I've got to take care of you for the rest of my life. No! God's given the church, he's given this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. It's going to be great. In Ephesians 4, Paul kind of sums this up and what it means for the church. This is verse 15. He says, instead of all the other ways the world works, he says, instead... We will speak the truth in love. We're going to go be direct with people. We're going to go knee to knee in the church with our disagreements. Even if they like rice pilaf and I like fried rice, we're going to get together. We're going to commit to community with those kind of disagreements of deep-rooted value, right? Chunky salsa or thin. We're going to make it happen. We're going to speak the truth in love, telling them that chunky is the only way forward. Jesus only loves chunky salsa. <laughs> Growing every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Without one another... We will never find the joy that God intends for us. Without the deep love that comes from God and operates within the church, the church is the only place in all the world where this happens. 
It's the place where God has committed himself to it and said, I sacrificed for you and you sacrificed for one another. That we commit, we decide, we come in and we say, I commit to self-sacrificial love for the sake of the best life happening in you and for me. And hopefully, as we each do our own special work, it helps us all grow together as a body. And a body can do a whole lot in the world. That's my cue. As the museum tells us that they're about to open. I want to ask you to three steps in order to engage this self-sacrificial commitment. Love in the community takes commitment. And so that making that commitment to self-sacrificial love saying, I may not agree on everything, but I'm going to decide that this is the place that God has given me to experience love in the fullness. I'm going to decide. I'm committing to the church. In order to commit to the church, I encourage you, commit to Jesus. It's very hard to love one another when you have not been loved self-sacrificially yourself. Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner It's that life and love that gets to be given away in the church. So number one, commit. It takes commitment. The other thing that it takes is generosity. In your small groups, it's going to be a mess. In my small group, my first small group that I ever attended back in Houston, I started yelling at the small group leader because they said something about my mother. I can't remember. We talked for an hour afterwards. They called me. We talked for an hour. It was like getting knee to knee on the phone, and we dealt it out. And we are still, I consider them some of my best friends now, 16 years later. This is where it happens. And it takes generosity. I encourage you, commit generously to a small group. Here's what I mean by that. Say that you're going to go and go. Unless you've got COVID, don't go then. This small group in, in this church, it was fantastic. The leaders got COVID, and the rest of the group just came around them in the most loving way. It was fantastic. I heard stories. There was creativity. I, I, small groups are the best. Commit to a small group. Commit generously to serve somewhere as well. We've got something called a GPS and it's, it's not on your phone. It is on your phone, but it's not what, what you think it is. It's not about mapping, getting out of here as fast as you can. It is about finding out how God may have given you gifts and skills and tools that might help this body be the best that it could be. So I encourage you to go to gps.missionvineyard.org. It may have a scary button there that says, oh, this website's scary. Don't worry about it. It's, it's, there's some interactions that are just making it say that. It's really good. And if you would go and just take a minute, self-sacrificial minute, to say, this is what I love, then it helps us all work together so that the body can work really well. This mornings like this takes so many people to operate. So you're helping it. Your commitment to say, I'm going to serve on a team in the church once a month is huge. It makes space for those who haven't experienced this love get to experience this love. The other thing I encourage you to do is commit to giving financially with your generosity. Commit generously to a small group, commit generously to serve, and commit generously with your finances. 
The church doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. That's not why I'm asking. I'm asking because there's so much life that can come from you giving generously. That self-sacrificial love that addresses your budget changes commercialism, materialism, consumerism. It's a self-sacrificial gift that's given in love. It, all of a sudden, your money becomes holy. Finally, I ask that you just make this love a priority. A final story I did three funerals this past week. And I've gotten really good at being the pastor in the funeral procession, knowing where to go. But in this case, it was an honor guard. We were going to Fort Sam Cemetery, and there was a whole bunch of motorcycles lined up with flags. It was really beautiful for this fallen uh, Navy man. And uh, usually I know where to go. I'm driving back of the hearse, and then... Everybody else kind of follows me. I keep people going. That's what I do as the pastor at a funeral. But in this case, I went, oh, there's a bunch of motorcycles. I, I, fly, I say, hey, no, you guys go. Motorcycles before pastors. That's the law of the land. And so I said, no, you guys go. And they said, no, pastor, you go ahead. And I went, well, okay. All right, I'll go. I had another funeral that same day. And so I went, well, I'm the pastor. The motorcycle said I should go first. I'm going to go first. I got in front of the 80-something-year-old grandma. I know we've got some here who needed to, had trouble walking. And I kept them from being close to the graveside. It was really sad. Sometimes we have to change our priorities. I know that was a stretch. Thanks for, for keeping with me. We have to change our priorities based on the moment. God is asking us to say, hey, prioritize the church. This is where that love's going to be felt. This is where it's at. Make a self-sacrificial decision to prioritize. Don't let Sunday to Sunday be the decision. Decide that every Sunday you will commit to that priority. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I feel like there's some ministry that God wants to do this morning. We'll have prayer teams in the corner here where the coffee people are trying to come out. There's a couple words that the team had this morning. They prayed and they were trying to listen to what God might want to do. Pain in the left elbow, thinning hair, I guess that's for me, to a broken heart, he is close to you and welcomes you, pain in the left knee. So a team prays for you ahead of time, they're talking with Jesus, saying, Jesus, what do you want from this congregation? What, who are you calling, who do you want to pray for this morning? So you may not relate to any of these words, but you may have an emotional, physical, or spiritual need. This team here is ready for you to pray for anything and everything that you've got this morning.